So we are working our way through Romans, and this has been an amazing journey as we have looked at the good news of Jesus, that God came not to condemn us, but to, to save us. And our condition, all of humanity, it started in Romans chapter 1 and 2, all of us have sinned. All of us are in need of salvation. There's no one who has it together, no one who came in this world somehow above the rest. We're all in the same boat. We're all in the same condition, and we need salvation. Whether you're religious or not, whether you uh, grew up in a home hearing about God's goodness or you didn't, we all have the same need. We need Jesus. He is our only hope. And Romans tells us that Apart from Christ, we are poor, we're naked, we're blind, we have incredible need. But Jesus saw our need, and he provided a covering. That's what atonement means. It's a covering. So instead of fear and shame and guilt, we have freedom, <laughs> confidence, love. We can come before God forgiven, made right. And that's what the book of Romans tells us is the righteous will live by faith. You see, we didn't get there on our own. Jesus found us as orphans and he brought us in and he clothed us and he provided for us. He gave us everything we need so we can live a righteous life, a life of blessing, a life of peace, a life of favor, the good life, the life of righteousness. And Jesus made a way for us to be counted as children. And we sang already this morning, right? I am a child of God. I am a son. I am a daughter of God. Isn't that an amazing truth to think about? You belong to God. You belong. You're accepted. <laughs> You're loved. He looks at you with eyes of love, of acceptance, of favor. What a gift. And so Romans has given us this amazing news, this good news that changes everything. It changes our lives. And now as we work through the final portion of Romans, we are discovering the practical applications. What does this look like? What does this transformed life because of Jesus look like? And over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the transformed life as a life of love a life of love. It all boils down to love because <laughs> God is love. That's his nature. That's his character. That's who he is. And because we are his children, we too take on that identity, one of love. And so we've been looking at the, the, the various applications of what a life of love looks like. And if you were here last week, you heard a, a great message from Pastor Boomer on how we live this life of love with, our, with those over us, whether it's parents or, or the government or supervisors, people who are over us. How do we love them? How do we live a life of, of respect and honor? And how our motivation isn't just external, that we would be punished, but Boomer reminded us that what God is really looking at is our hearts, that we would be motivated by love. I remember... Um, in college walking into the dorm room and um, not the room there was like a little lounge area and there was kind of a, a group of people huddled around two people 
And I, I, it caught my attention because one of them was my roommate. And, and there was two guys, and they were, they were in a heated discussion. Now, in, in Bible colleges, that's what <laughs> training pastors like to do. Instead of fighting, they, they argue with their, their words. And, um, and so this was an intense argument going on. And there were spectators around, you know, trying to see who was winning the, the argument. And the, the topic of that day was whether Christians should own guns. And, uh, you know, we would probably all have an opinion on that in different uh, degrees. My, my roommate wasn't American. He was from South Korea. So he had a whole different perspective than we do as Americans on this issue. And they were, they were arguing about if, if Christians should own guns or not and the merit of that. And, you know, if you look through your Bible, you won't find any references to guns. <laughs> But these guys were very passionate about it and very strongly convinced that they were right. And, um, and that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Not guns, but looking at issues like that that we have different opinions on, strong opinions, convictions about. But the question is, how do we live together in community as God's children— we are family now, <laughs> according to God's word that we've been brought together into this family. God is our father, and we've called to live together in deep community of love. But how do we do that? Because, man, if we took a poll just on that one issue, boy, there would be a lot of strong feelings, maybe opinions here. But what if we add a lot of different issues? We take our backgrounds, our experiences, the things uh, we have become convinced about in our lives. And boy, it would be tough to all agree on all of those things. We, we won't. But how do we live in community and unity and love together? That's important. And these verses are going to address these issues in our lives. So would you stand with me as we read in the book of Romans chapter 14? And it will be on the screen and you can follow along. Read along. Starting in verse 1, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each one of them should be fully convinced in their own minds, whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God, and whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this reason, Christ died, and he returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. 
it is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith and everything that does not come from faith is sin. You may be seated. So what do you think? Interesting passage, right? <laughs> but very important. Very, very important. I am so thankful that this is in the Bible. <laughs> we need this. Brothers and sisters, I've been in the church long enough to know that um, we can fight about a lot of things. <laughs> we can argue about a lot of things. But we're called to something much higher and deeper together. Now, before we dive in, I need to put a qualifier, and the qualifier isn't just from me. It's, if you look in the preceding verses, it's in the context. In verse 11 through 14, we see Paul talking about living this life of love, and one of the motivations we have is that Jesus is Lord and King of all, and we belong to Him, and we live this life knowing that this life is only a small beginning. In fact, last night when I was putting my son to bed, he said, Dad, what's a prelude? And I said, this life is a prelude. <laughs> this life is a prelude. We are living in only the beginning. We have all of eternity with God. And that's the perspective here is, is the, the day of salvation is coming when Jesus will come and he will set this world aright. And everything will be made right. As Revelation says, no more death, no more pain, no more crying. And we long for that day. That is the, the glory that God is revealing in the gospel. And it's a reality in our lives. And so that day is here. And so he says, put aside the deeds of darkness. And he says, behave decently. He says, no carousing and drunkenness, no sexual immorality, debauchery, dissension, jealousy. And so this is a list. And earlier in... Um, in verse 9, he talks about not committing adultery, not murdering, not stealing, not coveting. So there are things that are wrong, and there are things that are right. The Bible makes no apology for this. The Bible is crystal clear that, that there are things that God 
laws that God has set into motion in the creation that go against his nature, his character, and that will ultimately destroy us. That's why we need, in a sense, those guardrails. Like if you go down Highway 44 and you ignore the guardrails and you decide, I'm going to go right off (laughs) roading, there's consequences, (laughs) right? We have guardrails. And so God gives us guardrails for living because he loves us and he knows what's good for us. And so there is a wrong, there is a right. There are absolute truths according to the word of God. But (laughs) there are many areas where God has not given us guidance. He's given us freedom. Freedom to choose, to live. We are made in his image. We have the ability to choose and to make decisions, to discern how we're going to live and different choices that we have. This is part of being made in the image of God. It's part of who we are as human beings. We're different from the rest of creation. God has made us special. And so with this freedom, what do we do with it? How do we live together with that freedom? That is what Paul is addressing here. And it's the law of love that guides us. Love guides us in how we live with our freedom. And so this transformed life of love Paul gives us in verses 1 through 5 three guidelines of how to live this life of love with each other. So this is about the Christian community, okay? We're we're talking about brothers and sisters in Christ, part of the church, not just Rimrock, but with other Christians, maybe in other nations, other places. But how do we live together as the followers of Christ? Number one, we accept each other. We accept each other. Accept each other the one whose faith is weak. And so Paul is saying the guiding principle when we interact with one another is we accept one another. We open our arms to each other. This is so important. This is vital for us to be a community of love. We've all experienced rejection, and there's nothing more painful than that. There's nothing more painful than being rejected. We all long for acceptance. The good news is God accepts us and he invites us to be like him and accept others. And so our posture is not one of folded arms towards each other. It's one of open arms saying, welcome. (laughs) I, I want to know you. I want to love you. And so that is the posture of the Christian life towards one another. We accept each other. Number two, we do not judge each other or treat each other with contempt right verse three we do not treat each other with contempt and we do not judge now this word judge can be misunderstood jesus talked a lot about judging and when jesus talked about judging he was talking about condemning we are never to condemn another person and particularly another follower of christ that is not our place only god judges only god is in that position. We are never to be in the position of condemning another person. Now, God does invite us, and Jesus talks about this in the Sermon on the Mount, we are invited to discern. We are to be discerning. Jesus said, look at a tree and discern or judge its fruit. Okay, there's a difference there. But what Paul here is talking about is condemning, and he's also talking about making judgments or decisions for someone else. (laughs) That's not our place. We are never to make a decision for someone else. 
God has given the value and the quality to each person and the ability to make judgments for themselves. It's not my place or your place to do that for someone else. So we are to accept each other. We're not to judge or treat another person with contempt. And third, each person should be convinced in their own mind. Again, what are we talking about? Issues of freedom, okay? God hasn't said this is right or wrong. These are areas of freedom, areas of decision in our lives about how we're going to live. Now, Paul addresses three in this passage. Eating, holidays, and drinking, okay? Those are three. And we maybe have those in our culture today, maybe less so because Paul was addressing a church that had Jewish influence that had a lot of dietary laws and, and things that customs that, that outlined the, the religious life. But we can relate to other things related to these. So we maybe don't have the kosher dietary laws of the Jews, but if we were to talk to different people here, you might have strong opinions about diets, right? Some of you might avoid gluten. Some of you may decide to be vegetarian. Some of you may avoid GMOs. Some avoid sugar. Some of you have special diets that you are convinced are right and good. Paul would say each person should be convinced in their own mind. Again, this is an area of freedom. <laughs> the Bible hasn't given us guidelines on this. This is an open area of living, each of us deciding how we want to live in this area. Holidays. Um, my mom loved Christmas growing up, and she would go way overboard, and I always wondered, why, why is she going so crazy around Christmas? Well, um, as I got older, I realized that she grew up in a home where my grandmother believed that Christmas was wrong. And so she had this conviction that she wasn't going to celebrate Christmas, and she didn't. And so when my mom got out of the house, she was like, freedom! <laughs> Christmas! <laughs> and, uh, and so we, we celebrated Christmas. But there are Christians who are convinced that we shouldn't celebrate Christmas. What do we do with that? Do we condemn them? Do we look down on them? No. And as the person who is convinced, and that one thing I respect about my grandmother is she never talked against anyone who did celebrate Christmas. She never judged them. She never condemned them. She never looked down on them. But she, it was a personal conviction for her. And so what do we do? We accept. We do not judge or treat with contempt. And we allow each person to be convinced in their own mind. How about alcohol? This is a, a hard one. There are people who... Um, are susceptible to addiction, to other things. There are people who aren't, but are convinced that a Christian should not drink. And so what do we do with that? Again, we accept, we do not judge, we do not treat with contempt, and we allow each person to be convinced in their own mind. What about other areas? Tattoos, hairstyles, clothing styles, piercing, entertainment, recycling. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> parenting styles. I remember when my wife and I had our first son, someone brought us a book and said, do this book. <laughs> you must do this book. And we tried it. <laughs> and we were like, no way, we can't do this. <laughs> and so, but people feel strongly about these things. How are we, our lifestyle, vacations, how do we do different things? All of these areas are areas of freedom. 
And my dear brothers and sisters, we have to be careful because sometimes we get confused between what are absolutes, what God has said is absolutely wrong, and what are areas of freedom. And, and th this can cause a lot of friction, a lot of conflict. And Paul is, is inviting us to a different way of living. Instead of fighting over these things, we live a different way. And so in verse 6, Paul begins to tell us that we... Whatever we do, whether we celebrate a special day or not, whether we eat meat or not, what do we do? We give thanks to God. Do you see what Paul does? He shifts our orientation. Instead of being focused on each other and examining each other's lives, where does Paul invite us to look? Where does our attention go? To God. <laughs> and what's the response when we look to God? Thankfulness gratitude instead of being consumed with what another person is doing I become consumed with the goodness of God the grace of God the love of God and it puts in my heart gratitude thankfulness I'm convinced that one of the most important things I can pass on to my children is gratitude uh, there is nothing more important for our hearts than to be grateful hearts people of gratitude and so Paul says whatever we do whatever area of freedom God has given you to live or not live do it with thankfulness get your attention off each other get your attention to God look to him and, and the results will be gratitude and so how do we live we live as glorifying people of God our lives matter for God's glory see we're going back to the gospel, the good news. We're going back to Romans chapter 8, right? Called to be children, right? Sons and daughters of God. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. And then in Romans 8, as Paul reveals this gospel, this good news, it's a glory, it's an increasing glory that we're invited to share in, that God is sharing his glory. And so we become glorifying people to God. Our lives are pointing to his glory. <laughs> Oh boy, what a, what a life of purpose. What a life of meaning that even our, our simple decisions point to a greater glory. It's God's glory. And so we live for that glory. Now, it is vital if we're going to live this way that we understand our identity. And the world doesn't get this. The world says, find yourself. Find your own identity. And no wonder we, there's so much confusion out there. Because when we look within ourselves, there's only confusion. There's only chaos. The Bible says the heart is deceptive. If I try to find myself, I will only find deception. I will be consumed with my appetites. I will find my identity in everything and anything. That's why there's so much confusion about sexuality in our culture. so much confusion about identity in our culture. And it's destroying people. There's despair. There's suicide. There's meaninglessness. We don't look within. The Bible says, where do we get our identity? From God. <laughs> From God. He's the one who names us. He's the one who created us. Our identity comes from Him, and when we understand that, then we don't get caught up in these other things. I'm no longer defined by what I wear, what I eat. I'm no longer defined by my profession, my job. You see, when we find our identity in those things, those things can change. They can be taken from us. Those things are not lasting. They're fading. And when we put our identity in those things, it will destroy us. We are invited to identify in Christ. 
And when we do that, we have freedom. <laughs> we no longer have to fight about these things or judge each other or condemn each other because we are secure. We are held fast in a changing world because our focus is on God and His glory. And we were created for a purpose and a greater glory. And so we do not live for ourselves. We're motivated by love. And this is where Paul, this is the, the crux of it, verse 7. For none of us lives lives for ourselves alone. And none of us dies for ourselves alone. And so what is Paul saying? If our identity is in Christ, nothing's going to move us. Not even death. Not even death can take away our identity in Christ. We are secure. <laughs> we are unmoved in our hope. And what we understand of the love of God, it doesn't move us, even death. And so we live life to the fullest, a life of love, a life of blessing, a life of goodness, but not even death slows us down. We continue to live. We live for God because our identity is in Him and we belong to Him. And you see what this does? This changes our perspective. Instead of the, the fighting over the little things, the, the disagreements, the, the, the things we see in each other, our focus is on God, our focus is on what really matters, what will last forever, and then we're not sidetracked. We're not consumed with lesser matters. We, we know what really matters. We know what our lives are all about. And this enables us to really love. This enables us to really love each other. We have to understand this. We have to get to this place that we live not for ourselves. Verse 8, we live for the Lord. We live for God's glory. And so what does this mean in verse 10? We don't judge each other. We don't condemn each other. We don't treat people with contempt. For God says we will all stand before God. We trust God. We trust that God is going to take care of our neighbor. He's going to take care of that person, even if we disagree with them. We don't have to win the argument. <laughs> we can be okay with not winning the argument. It's okay. We can trust God. God decides. We don't decide. And so how do we live this life of love? So Paul goes on, and this is really deep stuff. This is really deep stuff. When we realize who we are and who we live for, we are able to live in such a way that we care more about another person than our personal freedoms. Wow. This is, this is, this is hard. This is deep stuff. <laughs> to care more about you than what God has given me freedom to do is an extraordinary way to live. Who does this? <laughs> Only people who've been captured by God. This is impossible on our own. We need the Spirit of God to produce this kind of love because this is self-sacrificing kind of love. This is a commitment to each other that outweighs our own desires and our own freedoms. This is a radical kind of love. And it's the kind of love we're invited to live with each other in. And so what does Paul say? He says, in these areas, everything's clean. <laughs> There's no good food, wrong food here. I mean, within moderation, you know, don't go out and eat donuts every day. <laughs> no, it won't be good for you. But, but there's, this is not a religious 
um, a religious law or thing that God has put into place. And so we have to be careful. This is where legalism comes in, where people try to make laws out of things that aren't laws. And so there's freedom, but if it causes your brother or sister to stumble, what do you do? You abstain. Who does that? Only a person who really understands their identity and really understands what they're living for, a greater glory. And if someone says, I can't drink, and you abstain, you are pointing to that greater glory. This is love. <laughs> this is the love of God who laid his own life down, who wasn't willing to hold on to all the privileges of being God. What does Philippians 2 said? He laid it aside. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, held on to. He was willing to let it go because he saw that his sacrifice could produce an amazing, powerful transformation in my heart and your heart. What would happen if we lived this way? If we really considered the needs and the, the opinions of others and how we lived? This is powerful. And he tells us the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And here's, here's, the, here's where Paul ends. Good will overcome evil. This is the power of the gospel. The good of God will overcome the evil in this world. All the divisions, the violence, the destruction that we see around us will be overcome. And it's starting right now in our own hearts. God is overcoming evil with good. And that is the call. The Christian life of love is a call to see good overcome evil because the kingdom of God is one of righteousness, peace, and joy. And so as we begin to realize this and we begin to see what really matters, it changes us. I remember as a, uh, freshly out of college, working in a job, that uh, I didn't really respect my supervisor. There were some things I really disagreed with him about. And going to work was a, a struggle every day. Maybe you've had that experience. And I was complaining to God about it. And, and my heart had become kind of bitter about it. And, and one day I was out praying and God got a hold of me and he said what's wrong with you Ben <laughs> you're looking at this all wrong you're focused on him and his deficiencies what you think are his problems and areas that you disagree with when you should be looking at me and I at that moment had to fall on my knees because when you encounter God you feel this small <laughs> and you realize I've been wrong it wasn't this man's problem God showed me the problem was me. The way I was looking at him was not as a brother in Christ. I was judging him. I was treating him with contempt. And that was wrong. And God showed me that I was called to love him because God loved me. And because God loved me and God loved him, he was calling me to that life of love. And so I had to repent of a bad, stinking attitude. <laughs> And I had to repent of 
of thinking my opinions were more important than his with some things. And you know what happened? <laughs> Instead of dreading going to work, I loved going to work. Everything changed. But he didn't change a bit. <laughs> what changed was me, my perspective. I got my eyes off myself and this person. I began to look at God. And instead of, of bitterness, I had gratitude in my heart. I was so thankful I had a job that I could go to work. And I could serve God in that way. And I could love this man. And you know what happened? Instead of just seeing this man and all his deficiencies, I began to see beautiful things that God was doing in his heart. And I ended that job having great respect and love for this brother. How is that possible? Jesus intervened in my life. It wasn't me. It wasn't I somehow arrived on my own. I was a mess. I wasn't looking inside. It was an encounter with God that changed me, transformed me, brought me to a place of love. I couldn't get there on my own. And that is what God is calling us to, a life of love, even with people we disagree with, even with people that we would choose to live totally differently with. But we choose to love them. We accept them. We do not judge them. We do not look with content on them. We allow God to bring that conviction in each person's life. So what matters? What will last? You know what's funny in all these disagreements we have? They don't really last. <laughs> Those things don't matter in all of eternity. What will last forever? People will. People will. Do you realize the treasure that people are <laughs> made in God's image? That they will last forever and they will live in all of eternity if they are a follower of Christ with you that you will live for all of eternity together? We need to learn to get along. <laughs> we need to learn to love each other because we're going to be a family for a long time. And God has called us to love. And what does Paul say? He says, verse 19, let us make every effort to lead, to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. You see, we make decisions on how we live with others based on what really matters. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up as we pray. Father, thank you for your presence with us this morning. Thank you for your acceptance of us. That even like as I shared this morning when we get to those distorted places in our lives where we're bent out of shape over other people, you are patient with us and you take time to knock on the door of our hearts and say, wait a minute, don't go down that road. I have a better way, the way of love. So help us, God. Help us here at Rimrock to be a people of love. Lord, Lord, let it mark our lives so that when people see us, they see, where's that, where's that kind of love coming from? And we can point to you, God, and we can say, it's your glory. It's your goodness. You're doing it, God. You're making us new. In Jesus' name, amen.